0: We're spending a few weeks, this is kind of funny, Um, did anyone go shopping over the weekend? Any shoppers? A couple, right? Like, that's what the news report's saying, not a lot of, I guess, did anyone buy things online over the weekend? You know some of you bought things online over the weekend, right? That's far easier than standing in line for like six hours for an Xbox or something. Um, As we um, turn this, our attention toward the coming Savior Jesus and Christmas, we're going to spend... This week and next week, still talking about the reality of the promise we have in Jesus' coming. And for those of you who haven't been with us for the last few weeks, I want to kind of catch you up. We're not talking about the coming of Jesus. This is our Advent series, and Advent normally happens with like Christmas wreaths and candles and things. But we're thinking about the Advent or the return of Jesus as King, as Lord, in what, what's come to be known in the church as the second coming of Christ, Right? So we know that the reality is that um, God is eternally existing outside of time and space as we know it. He's eternal. It's part of his nature. And he created everything that we know and experience. He, he spoke into existence, and that's the reality of our life is captured in his moment. And, and then we also know that God came in the flesh, in Jesus Christ. That's part of the uniquely Christian doctrine, that we believe that that's the truth of what happened, that God manifests himself as a man. In this world, and that was a unique uh, one time event that changed everything. That's what we celebrate in Christmas. But then, of course, we know that Jesus came and walked, and we talk a lot about his discipleship of others like us ordinary men and women, not super apostles, not superhumans. They were just people who heard a gospel that they believed that transformed their lives, and we know that that's true. And then we know that Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins, and the sins of the whole world were paid for on that cross. Would anyone believe and choose to believe that Jesus died for them, would would they accept the gift, they would be saved. And that's the radical gospel of Jesus, so simply put. There's no, I was thinking about the cross this week, of course, there's no sin that can't be paid for on the cross of Christ. There's no sin that hasn't been paid for on the cross of Christ. And yet there will be sinners who will neglect the gift and die in sin because they won't recognize who Jesus is. And uh, that's the reality of, of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And then he was raised, man, and there's like a whole thing where God spoke and called his son forth, you know, which is a beautiful idea. We see it with Jesus uh, at the tomb with Lazarus when he calls his friend out, and we, we recognize in that model when Jesus called Lazarus out that when Jesus himself were in the grave, who's going to call Jesus forth from the grave? Well, his father calls him from the grave, right? I mean, he, he is called out in the same way, and I say that because um, later on, the people who believe the gospel of Jesus become the called out ones, called out of death into life, called into new life, resurrection thinking differently living differently uh, experiencing this world differently because of who Jesus is and then the word actually says one more thing it says that that Um, If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you believe he died to forgive all of your sins, that it's not just a ticket for eternity, punched your card and you're going to heaven, that is true, but it means that in that moment, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in us. That means, you know, Emmanuel, God with us, is in us. And that means you and me today in in our struggles, in our pains, in our joys, in our hopes, in our dreams, in our ambitions, he's living in us. And all that stuff we cover a lot, but we've been talking about the last few weeks, and if you've been here, you've heard this. um, And yet, we're in this age of the church, this age of this um, God's grace to the world to receive the gospel, because there's coming a day, and the Bible says this over and over again, where that will come to an end. And sometimes we celebrate that by saying, you know, all of our troubles will come to an end, that's true. Things will be made right, that's true. Righteous judgment will happen, that's true. But it also means that there'll be an end to the offer. There'll be an an end to um, this time of God's grace on sinners like us. And uh, so today we're going to talk about that more. And that's what we're talking about today. And more, one more time next week, and then we're going to get into the Christmas season. So um, bear with us through this. Uh, I think it's a a huge part. And maybe you're like me. Maybe you're not. Where you don't have a really good, developed theology of what that l- is going to look like, of what this second coming of Christ will be. So we're spending a few weeks talking about that. The series is called Jesus is Coming. And this morning I want to start with talking with you about um, something that came to mind when I was thinking about how we live our lives. I ask if you did some shopping, if you went and stood in line, um, if you uh, bought some stuff on, uh, you know, Amazon <laughs> or whatever. Um, if you've done those things often our culture defines what is important for us by making it urgent. I don't know if you know that, right? Have you ever been into a a transaction where the person selling you something says, you have to do it today, because if you don't do it today, it won't be here tomorrow. What they're doing is they're they're taking something that you have some interest in and making an urgent decision. And so as I was thinking about the coming of Christ and the reality of our salvation, our pending salvation in his name, this kind of closing of this opportunity we have in Jesus on the cross, I, I thought of this thing I Learned, and I think I first heard this when I was reading the book a long time ago called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Have you anybody read that book? It's been around for a while, right? Many of you have read it. Um, and there was something in there called the, I, I, for lack of a better term, I, when I googled it, this is why I googled, um, urgent and important quadrilateral. <laughs> I didn't know I even knew that word, quadrilateral. I don't know what that means. I think it just means four things. I don't know what it means, really. You know, Um sounds like some kind of a math problem. But when I looked it up, uh, this is what I found was the. Um, I don't know who, who, what the title is on this. Um, Covey Collins, I want to say, or Meyer Covey. I don't know. What? <laughs> That's awesome, man. How do you know that? Oh, <laughs> I'm like, he's a genius. <laughs> That's fantastic, Eli. <laughs> so... Uh, so I reordered a little bit so you can see what's happening here. So just to give you an idea, um, because the way that they actually do it, and I've messed it up, so it's not official, is this first quadrant would be the first, but I don't think that way, so I made it over there. So you got the important things on the top, the unimportant on the bottom, the urgent on the right, and the not urgent on the left, right? And so that's, that's the reality. Now, what we have a tendency to do is we have a tendency to live our lives on the urgent side all the time, no matter what. We live our lives on the urgent side. What's urgent? What's pressing? What's the crisis? Deal with that right now. And, and we don't, sometimes we will spend time on things that are urgent and important. But we might spend time on things that are urgent and not important. And, and then rarely do we spend time on things that are important but not urgent. You see, that takes some prioritization of our schedules and our lives to do that. And then many times we spend a lot of our free time on things that are not urgent and not important. Notice I said free as if any time is free anyway. Like it doesn't cost us anything to live that time. And so um, if we begin to think about this and we think, okay, so we should spend more time. And I like to reorder a bit because we, we, sh- we have to be more intentional to spend time the not urgent and important. But there are things in our lives that are important and are urgent. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. As a matter of fact, the funny thing is before this came out with Covey and whoever the other guy was (laughs) that uh, Eli said in the back, um, this was um, an axiom or something that was spoken by Dwight Eisenhower, I believe. And I found this nifty little decision-making chart here that was kind of a graphic of what he had said in the statement. Um, I can't remember his exact statement. It was something like, we spend much time, oh, he said something like, many times the things that are urgent are not important, and the things that are not urgent are important, right? And so he's kind of making the same case. And so there's this kind of thing of like, so this is the priority list, and the things which go to the top should be the things that are important and urgent, followed by the things that are important but not urgent, and then down to the not important but urgent, which we spend a lot of time there, and then for, again, you know, that stuff you can get in, if you get it in, great. It doesn't ultimately matter in your life. I actually was thinking about doing an exercise, I don't know if maybe you'll do it this week, you can if you want to, um, of sitting down and writing down the things that I spend time on. First as a list, and then trying to categorize it i 'm a little terrified <laughs> if I do that, really, where I spend most of my time in my life so that 's what I want to talk to you about today is um, this this idea of um, of focusing on the things that are urgent. And important, and I would say that uh, Jesus gives us um, this same refocusing of our lives in his earthly ministry, but even, even now as we hear the scriptures uh, this morning. I want to start then. I'm going to pray before we get into the word, and then we're going to start with uh, the prophet Jeremiah. Pray with me if you would. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come and to learn from you. We do pray that we would have our minds open to your word, that we would be um, recognizing your Holy Spirit's teaching to us, and that we would, we would desire to hear from you. Um, not worldly wisdom or, or man-made philosophies, but, but the truth of what you say is truly uh, important and urgent. Um, Father, would you help us to focus on those things today? Would you help us to just be present in this moment and take everything you have for us and, and then apply it to our lives? I know that the battle is not fought here. Um, the battle is fought everywhere. Um, It seems everywhere else. Um, And so today, Father God, I just pray that we would have our minds and hearts attuned to you. We have this kind of sanctuary space where we can focus on you. May you be um, glorified as we do that. And then lastly, we ask for for your assistance because we cannot do this on our own. We make no claim of wisdom on our own, and yet we want to know the wisdom you have for us through your word. So would you reveal it to us uh, as our loving and heavenly Father? We pray it in Jesus' name, Amen. So we're going to go ahead and turn to Jeremiah, which is in the first testament. Oh, I got it on the screens for you. You're not going to turn there. I'm going to turn there though. Um, Jeremiah, and it's going to be verses 14 through 16, and I'll walk you through because I have them on there. So Jeremiah, obviously a prophet of the uh, of Israel, and uh, just read a few of these verses here. It's interesting, by the way. Where we're going to pick up here is, is, is in this moment of, of exile, right? The people are having a hard time. The people are, are struggling. And this is what Jeremiah speaks to here. He says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, that's Yahweh, creator God, when I will fulfill the gracious promise that I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right. In the land, and in those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called: the Lord our righteousness. In the middle of an absolute time of 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 um disbursement and difficulty, the people of God longing for a solution. Jeremiah is saying, "There's going to come a time of great persecution, but I will cause." a righteous branch to come from David's line. We talked about that last week a bit when we talked about the righteous king, You know that there will come this restoration of David's kingdom, his, his, his throne or his authority in Israel. And indeed, I want to note here that it says, the days of Judah, in those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem lived in safety, right? Those, those, this drawing together of God's people in the name of, uh, of this one that's to come called here, the Lord our righteousness. Now I'm going to have you turn then to the book. Oh, I did not push those slides for it. I'm going to turn to the book of uh, Luke, and you can turn there with me if you would, please. Oh, can you go back and get that? I'm sorry. Um, Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 33, and we're going to work through this. Page 735, if you use one of our Bibles, I would encourage you to do that. And this is Jesus teaching here and uh, talking about the times to come. This is what Jesus says. There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. On earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. And the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great Glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. You know, lest you think that we make much ado about nothing on this, Jesus himself was teaching the disciples in, in honestly a time of, of, of f- fair safety. You know, I mean, they, they had him there, they could see him, they could touch him, they could lean on him, and he's saying, There's going to come a time where it won't be like this. There's going to come a time of, of great difficulty. And I want you to, to walk with me for a minute into the scale and scope of, of what he's truly saying here. Just walking through there, he, he said, there will be signs, and many times we think, well, yeah, we're going we're gonna to see signs. I, I understand that, right? But he says, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. I just want to start by saying that this second coming of Christ will be huge. Huge. It's not enough to think, well, it's going to be, I'm I'm having a hard time in my life. It's not like, man, our country's in a bad way. Our world's having conflict. No. He's saying there are going to be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, like all, this is going to be a cosmically sized event. Kind of amazed how um, we still have that that knack to look to the stars. Some of our greatest scientists are always saying that, you know, look at what's happening. We're building multi-million dollar equipment. I think I just heard that um, that one uh, rocket that exploded had like, I don't know, $250 million worth of equipment on it or something like that. I mean, just, it, outrageous amount of money that exploded because it, it, it failed to take off properly. You know, I mean, we have, we still are, are looking to the stars. And Jesus... This, um, this rabbi, but truly God incarnate, says, oh, it's going to be that big. There, there's going to be a, a signs. You're going you're to see it. You're going to know it. I think sometimes we act as if we'll be the only ones that will understand, right? The second coming of, second coming of Jesus, like, we're going to be the only ones that get it. No one else is going to get it. And that's not what Jesus says. He's going to get even more emphatic in a moment about, about the reality of that. He says there's going to be a sign in the sun, the moon, and the stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Now this one I did kind of feel like was pretty, pretty close to, to where we are. I don't know how that's been interpreted historically, um, that nations would be in anguish and perplexity. But I can tell you that right now, one of the conversations that I do hear about this happening right now in our real culture all the time is this debate over global warming. But this concept is the sea levels are rising. Have you heard any of this information about the sea levels rising? Like there are there are um, areas that have been historic. Of course, you want waterfront property, you know. Until the water starts rising, then you don't want waterfront property anymore. I remember uh, for all these floods in the Mississippi River, we would drive through the Grafton Alton area, and you would think, why are you rebuilding there? This is a bad strategy. It's gonna get wet. And yet the multi-million dollar properties, man, the biggest hotels and the biggest resorts are right there next to the water. I don't know if you've heard this said recently, but um, I, had, I just heard this in some news reports. And they said that our president currently says that, that that concept of global warming and the rising oceans will be the biggest threat to all nations. And I, I know there's po- po- politics in that. I get that. But something is happening. And then all of a sudden, I'm reading this. I'm like, wow, wait. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity. Isn't that a strange turn of phrase? The things that we thought were permanently established that were not going to change, like our coastlines, like our state lines, like our country map, you know, these things that we thought, well, these are, th- the continents aren't going to shift. It says there will be an anguish and perplexity over those things. A global shift. Something huge happening. Interesting. That's all I'm saying. I think it's interesting. I, you know, um, how, that's why I say how was it interpreted? How did they say before that they were in anguish over the roaring and tossing of the seas, like the, the, the kind of the, the threat of the water? But in our time, I see a connection, a possibility of how that could come to pass to be a really bad deal. And I'm not making light of it. Millions of people displaced if something like that were to happen, pushing people inward, um, We've seen refugee crises already. Can you imagine a global scale? Something like that happening. Nations undone. It sounds pretty, pretty scary. Look at 26. Men, that means people, not just men, but men will faint from terror, right? Apprehensive to what is coming in the world. And again, you can see a direct connection to that with well, the things that have happened in Paris, the things that right now in our state, in our country, the the, the, the sensitivity we have toward risk, the fear that begins to rule in our minds and our hearts. says men will faint from that. They will be terrified, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. But see, again here, it's not about what's happening here. We think about that. But look, because the heavenly bodies will be shaken. It's going to be huge. And men who have great courage are going to just pass out on the day. And we... I I don't think we spend a lot of time there. Maybe because we're too afraid to spend a lot of time there thinking about that that this huge moment is coming. And by the way, let me just take a moment and back way and say, I'm not one of those guys that says, oh, this is going to be awesome. Can we get the party started? You know, And I know, I know we want to see Jesus come. I do. But I think this is real. Like, it'll really be awful to be living during that season of life. And on one hand, I know we want Jesus to come. We want him to come while he's still comfortable. And that's not what the Scripture says. No, it's going to be a time of great anguish and fear and terror and and. You, you know you what know, I'm saying? It's not going to be fun. I said, back away from that, because some people are eager to make it happen. Well, that's great. So let's make the world the worst place. No. No. But the truth is, that as we see it devolving, uh, we should have a different response than the world. This is all the setting of what we see when the Son of Man is to come. Verse 27, At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud of power and great glory, or a cloud with power and great glory. This majestic moment, this beautiful spectacle, this global phenomenon. And two things I can't get around my head right now. I really can't. The one is, what does it mean that the heavens will be shaken? Like, really? It doesn't mean the earth is going to shake. It means the heavens are going to shake. Like, what does that even look like? We have no context for that at all. And then the second thing is, what event happens? the Son of Man comes on the clouds with power and glory that can be seen as a global event. Everyone sees it at the same time, a, a reality that we all experience. It's what the, what, what the Word said. And I don't mean just the word in here. I mean the word Jesus himself. He spoke these words as truth, that this will happen when these things begin to take place then so that's all the setting for it right then here's our response jesus is teaching us right and he's saying so here's what you should do when these things begin to take place when they begin to happen stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near very much like the same thing that he said whenever um They, whenever uh, Jeremiah prophesied, right, that in that day that God's going to make something awesome happen for you. Jesus says that when these things happen, the Christian response should be different. I don't know if you feel with me the tendency to have a fleshly response to the conditions of the world when we see things like the possibility of the sea levels rising, when we see things like um, great heavenly things that are going to happen that would freak out everybody, when we, when we see terror and, and uh, unrest and uncertainty, and we have a tendency to start wringing our hands with the rest of the world and worrying. And you know, and, and the less we be too hard on ourselves, we see this in Jesus' own disciples when he's with them. <laughs> We're going to die. We're all going to die. And Jesus says, no, that's not the response. The response of believers in that moment is to stand up. And lift up your head because redemption is coming. It's a, it's a promise that God has made. Redemption is drawing near. What a beautiful word. To kind of make it um, practical, um, he throws this in here. He told him a parable. A parable kind of makes something more accessible. You go, man, how are we going to live? How do we do that? How do we stand in that moment and lift our heads? And the world's freaking out. And we're like, this is redemption, man. This is what's happening here. As terrifying as it is, as bad as it is. And this is what his... his teaching is here. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see them for yourselves and know that summer is near. I don't know, I don't know about you. Uh, how, many, how many of you are about ready for some summertime right now already? Midwest winter coming. Yeah, <laughs> a few of you, right? I don't know. How many of you love winter? Just love it? Can't wait? Yeah, God bless you. <laughs> a few of you as well, you know. But this moment, that Jesus says, I love that he, what he says. Is, he says, look at the fig tree, look at the trees. You can see for yourselves when summertime is drawing near, right? And to me, summertime, even though I do like winter, I have some things I like to do in winter, the truth is that summertime comes, and it's so nice. I mean, it's so fun. It's so warm out. When you're a kid, summertime, you got no school. I don't know if in Jesus' day they had no school in summertime or not. I don't know how that worked. Probably the harvest thing. We're probably the same, pretty close to the same. But man, you remember being a kid, like, I can't wait for summer. Last day of school, Jesus ties in all that desire when he says, summertime is drawing near. It's a season of growth. It's a season of new things, new life, not death, not destruction. Things being reborn. When, the, when they, the trees, sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and you know that summer is coming. 31 is what he says. Even so, like in the same way, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. All of a sudden, it does take a little bit of the panic out, doesn't it? When you see these things, you're like, wow, these are the new buds. These are the new beginnings. These are the fulfillments of Christ's promise to the world. That suffering will not go on indefinitely. That sin will not reign eternally. That sinners will be fully redeemed. The kingdom will be restored. David's throne." will be set right. He ties all that in, in this idea of observing. I love, by the way, how common it is that any of us can see it. I, I, I say there again, this will be an event that every common person will understand. There'll be no mystery as far as like, the, the great minds explaining it to us. It will be a worldwide revelation of what's happening. We're called to stand and hold our heads up. Look at what it says then in verse um, 32. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And I don't want to take two things out of that section. The first is this. He says this generation will not pass away. One of the things that Paul wrote to the early church about was that the, the, the second coming of Christ hasn't happened. <laughs> you know? He's like, don't freak out. Um, they, there could be a literal understanding of this generation. I don't understand what he's saying there. I have no wisdom to give you about... I, it means what these generations or this, this um, season of life won't have come to a close until that happens. Because clearly generations have come in that. But the second and more important thing I, I wanna, point I want to make about this is that Jesus says that the heavens and the earth will pass, that there will come a day where it will not be like it is. But he says, my word will never pass. It'll never happen. And I was thinking about that. And What it reminded me of immediately was John 1, where it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And all things were made through him. And therefore, he has absolute authority to speak. And he says, my word will not pass away. And that includes this word he's giving right now. These things will come to pass. And you can take great confidence in that. Great confidence that he is a keeper of his promises. That he's the redeemer of us sinners. That actually, he is our salvation, no matter what. But my words will never pass away. I want you to hold on to that thought for a moment. Um... And, and I want to talk then for this, what, what it looks like to be in the season of life where it's the now and not yet. We talked about that already, right? And um, we know what the past is. We know what the present is. We don't understand the future totally, right? But we know it's coming. And so we live in this kind of time of tension, of, of brokenness, and yet redemption, and of, of, um, of sin, and yet forgiveness. And we, this battle wages. It's, it's, the battle rages, and it's real as we go forward. Uh, I want you to turn with me, if you would, to the book of First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians 3. We're going to walk through a few verses. Um, it says on the slides 9 through 13, we're going to work through 7. We're going to start with 7. So chapter 3, verse 7. This is Paul writing to the church, and he's writing from a time of great distress, great trouble. And I want, that's why I want to back up to 7 and see a little bit of what he's talking about here. And if you want to, you can even start earlier, you know, Chapter 3, verse 1, he starts to tell the whole story about what's going on in his life. But in verse 7, he says this, Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. So I I want you to see that in Paul's own suffering, he was encouraged by other believers who he had shared the gospel with and who were being faith-filled believers. A, A challenge that all of us can have that your response to the gospel of Jesus affects every believer around you, that the way you live out your life affects everyone around you, and not in like a holy, uh, high holy example, but like in a real faith-enduring example. Paul is suffering greatly when he writes this. Look at verse 8. For now we truly live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. Paul's great distress isn't over his condition. It's over his brother and sister's hearts. I can truly live now because of your faith in the Lord. Verse 9 then. How can we thank God enough for you in return for, look what the word says, all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? That, is a, that sentence is so packed with meaning for me that because of the faith of those that Paul has poured his life into, he stands before the Lord with great joy and gives thanks to God with great joy for all that God is doing in the lives of others around him. Like Paul and and Paul's companions, not just Paul, but his companions are just jazzed because of the faith of others that have come after them. Like, by essence, right after them. I have great joy before the Lord. The, um, the opposite of that, I guess, and, and is whenever you, you know people who claim Christ and then don't demonstrate great faith in their life, and you, you get kind of heartsick about it. You're like, oh, you, you don't have that joy because you want, I don't know if you want, I want everyone to be free in Jesus. I, I want to see them blossoming and growing and, and thriving and living and fighting the battle. And yes, we sin and yes, we mess up, but we're in the fight. And we're not spending all of our time on the unimportant and not urgent, you know. We're like we're like living lives of purpose. And Paul says, oh, the joy and the thankfulness that we have because of your faith. We have joy before the Lord. I just love, I love that sentence. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we've given, that we have in in the presence of the Lord. Verse 10, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again, and love this, and supply what is still lacking in your faith. So it's like this continued desire. I say I was just to make this one point here. In this season between the now and the not yet, the church is a gift to God one another. This, this gift of faith is a gift to be lived out together, real, in real ways, not fake, pretend ways, like real. Yeah, how's life right now? It's hard. We're still in it together. I mean, to, to really be an encouragement and a blessing and a, and a, a completer of one of those faith, that's what he says, that I can still add what is lacking. And I don't think Paul wrote this because Paul was like the high holy see I think that he believed that he would go and he would add what's lacking to their faith and they're going to add what's lacking to his faith and his joy is going to be more complete in them and theirs in him. And together, this beautiful manifestation called the church brings about sanctification and glory to God for the work that he can only, listen, for the work that only he can do in their lives. What do we celebrate? We celebrate Jesus. What do we celebrate? We celebrate the forgiveness of sins. We celebrate the life that's coming and is here. And Paul was definitely part of that night and day we pray. What a beautiful, beautiful word. Verse, verse 11, he starts with blessings now. He's just going to bless them, bless them, bless them, bless him. He says, now, that, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. Like, may the God make my desires true. May I be able to come and spend time with you. Verse 12, may the Lord make your love increase, look, and overflow toward each other and for everyone else, just like our love overflows to you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father. And look what the word says. When our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. That's Paul's desire that you will be found blameless and holy. We talked about that recently. We said... You know, why Why would we... I, w- I had this vision recently of, like, th- this the struggle that we have in life. And it's like, if, if you would not choose it, but 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 through the struggle, you become something more. Uh, the old analogy that's always used is of a butterfly breaking out of a cocoon, right? They always say if you cut a cocoon open and open it up, the butterfly will die. It has to struggle to get out. And we don't understand it because we're not the creator. But there's a reality that in our struggles and even in our sin battles, that we overcome things that we need to break Break free from that, we need to grow through to become the Christian, the man of God, the woman of God that, that He's calling us to be. Why? So that on that day we will be blameless and holy in the presence of God and. Our, our, our God and Father, when our Lord Jesus comes, so that in that day we can stand and hold our head and say, redemption is near, and not look at our lives and say, oh, we spent it on all the unimportant and not urgent, or all the urgent and not important. We saw this day coming, or as the word would say, we are his and he's ours. We know him. This is the goal. This is the, the purpose of the church, to encourage one another until the day. And I hope that you're part of that actively. And I hope that you're willing to walk into that honestly. Um, right. We're going to go back then to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to finish here. Luke 34. Lest we think, we talked about how it's going to be a global and scale. It's going to be, um, everyone's going to see it. There's going to be, you know, lots of things happening in the world. You know, terrifying. But we're called to stand and hold our heads up and look for redemption. The, the word says this. Um, this is, by the way, I say the word. I say it all the time. I mean Jesus. Right? The Bible and Jesus say this. So we'll hear the word. Be careful, Jesus says in verse 34, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. Isn't that interesting? The warning about the coming of Jesus is be careful lest your hearts be weighed down, be made heavy and slow to respond by dissipation, by drunkenness, and by anxieties of life. Um, I don't know if you have any of that in your life, or those things weigh you down. I didn't know what dissipation was, by the way. I didn't know what it was, so I looked it up. If you don't know what something is, just look it up and find out, right? Um, It's this idea of being sick, Uh, usually even too much partying, right? The world's coming to an end. May as well live it up, right? Uh, YOLO, you know, (laughs) do it while you can because this is it. The party's coming to an end and you you get so, you party so much that you're sick. We get that, right? Drink so much you throw up. Sour stomach. Headache. Feel awful. Yeah. Wait, but what if it's not just, you know, teetotalers pointing at all the drunkards going, ha-ha, yeah, because the next thing he says is be drunk. What if it's getting sick from all of our consumption of meaningless stuff? What if it's getting a headache worrying about stuff that doesn't matter? We spend our lives chasing our tails, man. Just what are we going to do? What are we going to make, make a big statement, make a big life? And it just gives you a headache. Oh, I'm so over it. can't eat anymore. It's crazy, right? I mean, we, we live in a country where you can eat and eat and eat and eat and eat until you're sick of it. I'm sick of it. The next thing is to stay in deep drunkenness. That, right? The word is uh, methe, right? Which um, always reminds me of meth, but it's just like, you know, consuming alcohol, distractions. And, and and tied in with those two things, which you go, okay, uh, so I'm not that, I'm not that, is anxiety of life. Just being anxious about everything. I mean, we know Paul says, be anxious in nothing, right? But still, we feel like, yeah, but, you know, that's my advice. It's okay. And Jesus says, no, don't let your heart be weighed down with those things of headaches and sickness and drunkenness and anxieties of this life. He says, why? Because that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap that fast. I had a, I was going to get a prop. Did you get it for me? My kiddos saving the day. I was thinking, and the, the, the thing I kept thinking of, oh, darn, I really wanted a, uh, I wanted a rat trap. Have you guys ever seen a rat trap? I didn't get it done. This is only for the little not dangerous ones. I was thinking about what would, what would be, um, how fast. I really wanted something more dangerous than this. <laughs> Thanks for your lack of confidence. Now, these things have like a hair trigger, man. They're a little sketchy. I'm just going to move this out of the way for a minute. Jesus, uh, this, is, I, this is the image. I wish it was so much bigger, but this is the image, man, that that day is coming, and if you're weighed down by, like, the anxieties of life and drunkenness and, and gluttony and too much of everything and not enough of the things that are important, man, he says that that day is going to come, and you're going to be caught, and I don't know. I don't know. what Y'all feel bad for mice when they're doing this? <laughs> no. I mean, you put you put some food on there. That that little mouse is just like, what? I have never found cheese or peanut butter here before, and they're they are just like, I gotta have that, man. And they're, I don't you feel bad at all. It's like the Last Supper, man. It's like he's just like. This is a gift. Look at what I look at all the Lord has provided the bounty of the and then just like that fast. You think I can do that while I'm getting snapped? Huh? Yes. Oh like Dean, he's so confident. I don't know. It won't break my finger though. I was hoping a rat trap would be more dangerous than this, right? Woo <laughs> How fast would that go? But I want to make a point, right? No, you know what I'm saying? This is what our life is like just playing around we're just playing around and that fast jesus says it'll be over Wow, on a global scale i want to say that um what what he says is that all these things are going to be the signs that the end is coming but the end will be like that or before you know it and we shouldn't um play around with that when we think about that thing i put up there earlier the important and not urgent and the important and urgent jesus himself teaches us that the gospel, salvation, and eternity is urgent and important. And I think sometimes we, we don't, and I'm, I'm, I'm in that boat, we don't treat it like that, as both urgent and important. Verse 36, he says this, be always watching and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. And there's one way to do that, and that's to know Jesus as your Savior. And so I just see that and I mean, this was kind of funny with this little bitty trap, but I just see that with a big, global, huge snare. This, 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 and the more stuff that we see, the more signs. I know sometimes the Christian is like, yeah, Jesus is coming. But that means that the tension's growing. And there's going to be this cataclysmic moment for a lot of people who don't know Christ. And, and maybe that's you today. Maybe you don't know Jesus today. And I would say today is the day to stop playing around with it and believe the gospel. And for those of us who know Jesus that we would start to focus our lives on the urgent and important matter that is the gospel of those around us. And I'm not trying to lay guilt down. I'm just trying to say, because this can be like that. And Jesus, here's one thing I can tell you, is that Jesus isn't wrong. Like, I can't think of a thing I read in Scripture, Jesus, and Je- that's wrong. Jesus was wrong about that. He's not wrong. And if he's not wrong, we should take this seriously. I don't know where you are today, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. And if you don't know him as Savior, and you have any insight into the danger that you're standing in. I would invite you to invite him into your heart. Just believe that he died to forgive your sins and that he, he's come to set you free in this life. And that doesn't mean free at Family Bible Church and free around Christian friends. It mean free of your sin and a new life in Christ. And then, and then maybe you're like me and, you, you know, we just play with things that are really dangerous and we say, no. Today's the day that we, we're going to have eyes to see that even as we come into the season of celebrating Jesus' birth and Christmas and the presents and the trees and the lights and the fun, that we see that, man, there's a world waiting to be saved from one another, that our love would fl- overflow for others. And then Father Paul wrote, and everyone else, would, would our love overflow for those who don't know you as Savior? Would we have a real sense of the of the, of the right fear, and right anxiety of not this life, but eternity that hangs in the balance, that we might have a boldness and a courage as your followers to believe you all the more. May you be glorified as we follow you. I just pray that this is of you and of your your spirit among us, that you be glorified as we just pursue you. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.